Remorseful what? Remorseful what? You people have done people everything, have done in, the everything in the world to me. Doesn't that give Doesn't me equal, that give right? equal right? I can do anything I, I do want anything to you people at any time I want to. Because that's what you've done to me. If you spit in my face and smack me in the mouth and throw me in solitary confinement for nothing, what do you think's going to happen when I get out of here? is Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. I am chatting with Brian Leo Malley, the creator of Scott Pilgrim and Lost at Sea. Hi. Hello. And I'm trying to think, I, for some reason, suddenly couldn't remember the, the the name of the thing you did before Lost at Sea. Or I guess uh, it was the during... Book? Yeah, the you did the back, or the... what the, called you, uh, Hopeless Savages. That was zero. it. Which I don't... I've never read. I'm sorry. Okay. 
I didn't do my homework well enough. That's okay. It's very old. Well, it's not even uh, written by you. So, I mean, it doesn't really matter, I guess, in a way. Uh, We'll start out, I guess. um, Tell me what first really got you into comics. Just uh, in terms of drawing them or in terms of just the whole thing? In terms of the whole thing, and then I have some specific, like, getting into actually making comics questions. Okay. Um, well, uh, I think I definitely, like, have comics that I did from when I was, you know, like, three or four years old um, that my mom lettered for me because I couldn't write letters. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> I think I've just I've always been into them. Like, they're always kind of the fabric of my life. But um, for, like, comic comics, I got into them in grade school. Um, through the Transformers comics. Um, Because it was in northern Ontario, I didn't have any uh, cable TV, and I couldn't get to the Transformers cartoon. So um, one day I just, like, found the Transformers comics at the drugstore, and I got really into them. And that was kind of, like, my gateway to, like, Marvel comics, which is all I was into as a kid. By northern Ontario, do you mean, like, Thunder Bay, or...? Uh, North Bay, which is not really... It's not that far north, um, you know but it's uh, it was called the Gateway to the North, and there was like a big ornamental gateway there. <laughs> I've, I've been through that part of Ontario once, and I think that was my uh, the only yeah, time I'll ever go through. Yeah, we drove there in like 2004, which is the first time I'd been there in years and years, and it's it's quite bleak, I would yeah. say. Isn't, isn't it one of the towns, like Sudbury or something, where you get close to the town and all the trees are gone from all the... Yeah, we would always say like it looked like uh, like the surface of the moon or something. Yeah. Just that was like an hour from where I lived. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Lovely, lovely to grow up around. So what pulled you into actually wanting to make comics? Because you, from what I'm saying, you got started pretty young actually making comics. Um, the stuff we see now doesn't really... It, it is a kind of, I guess, a later day in comics. Is that right? A later what comics? Like not your... Er, like the stuff that's in print isn't your early work. I mean, I did some online stuff, and, uh, you know, wh- like, basically how I how I sort of started doing more comics than just for myself was um, I was kind of like a, a big anime nerd in high school, mm-hmm. and um, I kind of, like, fell into a group of uh, people who were also anime nerds, but who also liked to draw, and they didn't actually have any kind of drawing friends in my real-life existence, so, like, when the internet kind of grew up around me that was kind of a you know big gateway for me <clears throat> so um yeah i did a lot of kind of online comics and uh you know go to anime conventions and stuff print mini comics and things like that but i was i was in like the the anime manga kind of stream and not like the indie comic stream at that point mm-hmm. now i got a little bit of info from uh brandon graham um and he was mentioning Locke as someone that was really right he told me that he was going to tell you to, to ask him about that. <laughs> um, no <coughs> secrets. Yeah, no, it was, um, so I guess like about 10 years ago, really now, um, it was sort of part of the same online kind of drawing circles. Um, <clears throat> so this guy Locke, whose real name is Josh Gainsborough, um, he had done like some Anarch Press books and stuff, and we just kind of like, you know, we chatted a lot online. We became really good friends, and then I ended up kind of, um, Hanging out with him and his friends in San Jose, the San Jose area, for like about six months in 2001. 
which is kind of like where I learned kind of some something about the business. Like they were doing a book for for Image at the time called Last Shot, and I was like kind of lettering it and stuff. And I'm gonna put my brush down because it's really hard to ink and talk at the same time. <coughs> um. So yeah, so I just kind of did like you know grunt work on that comic while freeloading. Like I'm ashamed to admit. I didn't pay rent or anything for six months, and uh, and you know, in the, between working on that, like me and Locke would just kind of like run around town talking about comic ideas and things like that. So it's like um, it's kind of like um, I don't know. It's like it's where I became a little bit more serious in my mind about pursuing it as like a vocation, almost not like you know like a career, or whatever. Like we didn't know if we'd make any money, but we all wanted to make comics. And Corey Lewis was around at this time too, right? Uh, yeah, he was part of the sort of online circle too. He's a little bit younger than me. Um, yeah. And stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Corey and, and also Brandon Graham, like we all kind of met around the same time, like 2000, 2001. And, um, you know, we we eventually like met at Comic-Con and stuff. Like I think I met Brandon at Comic-Con the first time. And same with Corey. And, um, you know, we all just kind of had the same kind of flow of interests and, uh, you know, tried to make something out of it. Now, you're primarily uh, manga-influenced, because, um, like, someone like Brandon's very European-influenced, would that yeah, be a good way of putting I, it? Yeah, um, I'm definitely, mo- like, the manga stuff and then, you know, independent whatever like Bone and, you know, American, like Paul Pope. and I mean, Paul Pope's manga influence, too. Yeah. So that was kind of my, uh, yeah, I was not really, I never really discovered European comics, um, other than, like, Tantan and stuff like that. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, I eventually discovered, like, the black and white stuff, like Replacement God um, by Xander Cannon and Bone were, like, kind of my two big ones that kind of brought me back from the uh, Japanese stuff a little bit. And then I kind of started amalgamating my style that way. Is that what kind of pulled you into wanting to do an epic? Because then both of those series are epics in themselves, right? Well, actually, strangely, no. Because, like, when I was reading those in the late 90s, like, I was, yes, I wanted to do, like, a major fantasy thing. But then when I actually did Scott Pilgrim, it was um, it was more just influenced by, like, the manga, like the shonen manga, like One Piece, and the kind of big, huge, but episodic kind of tales. Now, when did you start working on Lost at Sea? Mm. <clears throat> well, after I, le- I left San Jose in 2001, summer, late summer 2001, and then I was introduced to James Lucas Jones, who's now the editor-in-chief at ONI, mm-hmm. um, at Wizard World Chicago that summer. And... Um, and he kind of like started getting me to do fill-ins on things, and um, and I was pitching ideas at him, like you know, at a steady clip. And then the one that stuck was Lost at Sea. But I mean, I pitched it in 2001, and um, I think I did some little like color web strips on their website at the time. But the book itself, I didn't even start on it until 2003, because in the middle of that, they offered to let me do uh, the art on Hopeless Savages, which was like. 96 pages and took me like a year <laughs> comics are a slow beast yeah well that was like my first actual I mean I guess what you would call a graphic novel even though it was, it was in issues it was four issues mm-hmm. 
it was, you know, it was like the biggest thing I'd ever done. One thing I've read kind of, I, I forget who mentioned it, but something basically saying how you got to do Scott Pilgrim because you're given a chance and proved well with that chance and another chance that you proved well. And that's how you kind of earned to be able to do this larger piece of work. What do you think about that kind of concept of having to like earn? Um, I'm sure there's like some truth in it. Um, it's like I, I did do a lot of stuff. Like I, I feel like I did earn earn a bit of a not finding the right word here. Um, anyway, I was doing a bunch of junk for Oni. Like I did some inking and I did some lettering. I did a lot of lettering for Oni, like in the early part of the decade. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and like I was turning all that stuff in on time, even if I was really behind on the actual full-blown comics work. So like I was doing production work on all these other books, and that was helping them out a lot. So I think that did earn me some like cachet with them. Um, <clears throat> but then I mean, Lost at Sea was late, you know, and it's not like it was like a blazing success or anything. But um, I think they're kind of they're loyal to their creators once they get started with them. If, yeah. You know, if, the, if there's, like, a mutual relationship there. So, um, yeah, I mean, basically as soon as I finished Lost at Sea, they were asking me what I wanted to do next, and um, and it was them who suggested that I do a longer series. I always, it, it, it always just kind of felt weird to me, to the idea of, like, having to prove yourself that you were capable of doing work before... I don't know. Maybe it's just my own little suppositions or something. It seems weird. It seems bad to you. Not bad. I don't know. Like, it, I don't know, because there's a balance between um, some folks that are given uh, book contracts when they've done a couple mini-comics, but then there's also the, you know, you got to slug it out for us before, you know, regardless of how great this concept might be. Right. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think I was necessarily, like, you know, forced to do... Um, uh, to, to draw a series for someone else. I think I was just kind of... I was given the opportunity, and I thought it would be a, a good idea, and I was kind of being paid more for that than I would be for my own work. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, also I sucked. Like, I was really <laughs> bad. I had, like, no no technical ability and no ability to follow through. So I think it was it was good for me in the long run. Okay.
the interesting thing about Lost at Sea, which no, probably nowhere near as many people who read Scott Pilgrim have read that, just being blunt, um, it's completely different. And I found that really fascinating because I'd read Scott Pilgrim first and then I read Lost at Sea, which seemed just a lot more... Um, I don't want to say genuine because it's not what I'm saying, mm. but that it felt more heartfelt. Right. I'm using felt way too many times. Um, but it had more heart to it, I kind of feel like. There was kind of more of a conscious storytelling aspect to it. it was, yeah, well, it was, it was... No, it's very, like, heart heart on its sleeve kind of thing, um, which I was really into, like... You know, I mean, while I was working on it, Blankets came out, and I was, like, just really into that book, and I was listening to a lot of, like, really, really emotional music, and, you know, that's just kind of where my head was at in those, in those days. And I just wanted to, like, be really kind of honest and... But, you know, at the same time, it's not. Like, it's it's also full of shit. So, <laughs> But it, it... I mean, it can be full of shit, but, I mean, it still evokes a certain... Yeah. Idea. Yeah, no, I mean, that, you know, that was, that was my goal with that, and it's not really... You know, I have different goals with Scott Pilgrim, which I don't... I don't even know how I can articulate the difference, but, you know, it's just... That's just kind of what... Where where my erstwhile muse was leading me at the time, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, there are a lot of ways completely different works. And it's, and it's interesting. It's a good contrast for someone if they just come at Scott Pilgrim, read Scott Pilgrim by itself, and mm-hmm. kind of expect you to be, like, kind of ADD-ridden. Um, yeah, expect it to be shark knife. I've got a, something related to that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, like... I, I don't know, I just, I wanted to take a, a different approach, like, you know, and I, I think I, I mean, the thing is, I've only done two books, basically, I mean, two, two different stories yeah. at this point, so I can't really, you know, go on this whole, uh, big conversation about how my, you know, my, my work, my oeuvre, and it's like, <laughs> there's just, there's not enough there, there, so, um, you know, I can talk a big game, but. So far, it's just the two things. But, you know, I, I, I would like to tailor each book to its uh, subject matter and everything. I think the next work I do will be, you know, different in its own way. You'd be like Jeffrey Brown, just do a book about cats. Yeah, exactly. Actually, I, yeah. <laughs> a little too exact. <laughs> um, well, let's jump into it. I mean, did you have, did you expect Scott Pilgrim to be this big a work as far as, like, a time commitment when you started this? Did you expect... Oh, like as far as scope. Um, yeah. So, yes and no. I mean, I knew I wanted to do six books. I just, you know, I'm 24 years old. I had no idea. Like, I, I wouldn't have thought the the number 2010 as a year um, when I started the series. So, <clears throat> it's it's awful, and, um, but, you know, it's it's what I wanted. Like, I set out to to commit to something big and um, you know I've stuck with it I think now did you make um, kind of specific stylistic choices when changing from one work through Lost at Sea to this work yes uh, I think so I mean to the, to the best of my ability at the time or to, to my self-awareness too um, which was limited <clears throat> but yeah I, diff- I went for like kind of the big the big googly eyes um, was 
it was like a huge stylistic thing. Like once I hit that, that was kind of like my breakthrough for differentiating Scott Pilgrim from Lost at Sea. Because he used to do these like kind of empty, weird eyes, like doll eyes. Mm-hmm. That I was I was really into that, and that's kind of like how I drew eyes for a long time. But um, it's kind of like Jordan Crane does a similar thing. Yeah, so they're just kind of like round, and they don't really have pupils. And um, people would often be weirded out by that, but I always. I didn't really see it as weird. Um, but yeah, eventually I just, I think I was, um, I was looking at someone's drawings of, um, the girl reindeer from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It was kind of eyes like that, like those big felt eyes. And that's kind of like the influence on the Scott Pilgrim eyes at the beginning. Do you, do you change in tools at all? Uh, not from Lost in Sea to Scott Pilgrim, like... I I was just using the same kind of I was using the same crummy brushes in those days, and um, yeah, the only other thing that changed was like kind of the layouts, like and the. I mean, Lost to Sea is is it has its own um, kind of poorly achieved layout strategy, but um, Scott Pilgrim is definitely more of a attempt at doing like a manga style layout. Lost at Sea kind of feels a little more um, claustrophobic. Yeah, it's got these like heavy, dense panels at the beginning, and then with these thick lines around them. And then as it goes on, it kind of unspools and becomes really um, decompressed. And it's like two panels a page, and then it's like one panel a page, and then it's like just all spreads for like the last chunk. So that's kind of that was what I was trying to do, and I don't think it really hits. But it was like in my head, that's what I wanted to do. That was just a purposeful kind of breaking down the character yeah, like with as, the story. You know, as the girl opens up to her friends, like. You know, the world of the comic book opens up. So, um, yeah, that was my idea. It, it, you know, it. I've seen... It is interesting when people kind of play with that technique because um, you kind of are more conscious within the way, you know, that kind of reading thing like Josh Simmons in his house book where he shrinks the panels with each page mm-hmm. um, to kind of get that claustrophobic... To, insert that claustrophobic feeling throughout it. So It's a thing I like to see. Um, so, I guess the genesis of Scott Pilgrim. Is it Corey Lewis? <laughs> well, who is Scott Pilgrim, Corey Lewis? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, he, he always would say that. Um, <clears throat> no, it's just, you know, it, it really is like kind of just where I was at the time. Like I, <clears throat> you know, I was writing fiction, but it's like completely ripped off from my own life, <clears throat> from the headlines of my own life, and, um, you know, so it's like I was living in Toronto, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm like having trouble talking, um, I was <laughs> I was in a band, uh, like a really kind of lousy band with like some good friends, and, um, you know, and I was living with uh, my roommate who, was, who happened to be gay, I had two roommates, so originally Scott Pilgrim was going to have two roommates, but, um, you know, I kind of like figured out about consolidating things into like you know so like I'm, I amalgamated Scott's friends into like three friends and one roommate instead of like dozens of people and um, you know I kind of figured it out as I went like and I was thinking about it planning it for like two years like I, I think I started I started writing it or like writing notes towards it in 2002 early 2002 and it didn't come out or I didn't start writing it writing it until early 2004 now, how important is the Canadian identity to you within this book? In Scott Pilgrim, well, in in both of the books, 
it's um it's there i don't know i think like many canadians like i don't think about it that much and it's just kind of it's present but i'm not really examining it in my own head that much it's just kind of it's just kind of showing up it's just kind of being vomited out yeah um like i remember in high school um for english english class i had to like i had to email a canadian author and um you know ask like what is it about being canadian like and all those kinds of like english class canadian english class questions and um you know, I emailed, like, Charles DeLint, who was, like, my favorite author at the time. And he was just like, you know, there's nothing. I don't care. I'm not, it doesn't matter that I'm Canadian. So I was like, oh. Um, and, you know, I don't think I'm quite to that degree, but it's just, um, you know. It it seems kind of more like the authentic, genuine Canadian thing, though, like that not caring. <laughs> to, yeah, to be kind of self-deprecating and kind of, you know, if if you actually did draw too much attention to it, people would be like, oh, whatever. It's, I guess it's kind of like the British thing, like, you know. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I'm Canadian, I lived in Toronto, and, um, you know, I just wanted to kind of represent that, I guess, sort of. <laughs> How, y- you've moved here and there, um, how does that like living space affect how you work it's it's hard for me to say i'm sure i'll know more later yeah um but i mean yeah i finished the first first two books i i was almost finished the second book when i moved to nova scotia i mean we moved there because it was affordable you know in ontario was not <clears throat> so um so yeah, and then I did the third and fourth books in Nova Scotia, and um, I did the fifth book. I moved to North Carolina right after the fourth book, so now I'm here and I'm finishing the fifth and sixth. So it's like two books per region, <laughs> which is um, it is different. Like in Nova Scotia, I felt it more acutely because I was still within Canada, and I was um, I mean the books were becoming popular sort of as I as I moved away from Toronto and everyone was like kind of why did you move away from Toronto everyone moves to Toronto um so and you can't really get much more obscure than living in Nova Scotia except for maybe Prince Edward Island yeah which is where we actually were originally planning to live. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was like it was too depressing for us um well you're kind of stuck there yeah it's just it's it's very small it's very like um poor I guess and so is Nova Scotia but you know, it's, um, it has a really thriving arts community, though. It's very thriving, but very small. Mm. <laughs> um, I mean, like everything on the island, you know. So, I mean, Nova anyway, Scotia. But I'm, I, yeah. I really love Nova Scotia, and I would, I would still live there <laughs> part of the year. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's very cold and um, miserable a lot of the time. And anyway, I'm, I'm sure that influenced Scott. Like in Volume Three of Scott Pilgrim, it's like it's raining the entire book, and that's directly influenced by living in Nova Scotia. But um, the I, don't, li- I don't know. Like you know, it's hard to divorce that from just kind of the passage of time. You know, because as as time goes, it's been like five years since those days, um, and it's you know it's different. It becomes kind of more reflective as it goes on. The really fascinating thing about Scott Pilgrim I find um, which you don't see with a lot of books uh, because it's the same work over a period of time you really see 
and try not to take this the wrong way, but your stylistic sharpening mm-hmm. throughout the series. And like, and I really, it's interesting looking at the at the latest book where I find you're kind of more playing with camera angles and kind of getting way more, um, kind of looking at a at a bigger box of the panel. Maybe mm-hmm. that's the right thing to be saying if that's coming out right. I am not really sure. That well, there there, meant, actually. The, there was like a couple scenes. One that really stuck out to me was like when they were uh, sitting in the bed um, at the party, and you're kind of looking over top. Oh yeah. Um, and it just felt like a little different than what you've been doing in the past. Like it just seemed kind yeah. of more I conscious. Mean, I tend to draw things just kind of flat and head on because uh, it's like the limits of my ability. But um, yeah, I, I I always try to take a little bit, take things a little bit further, take more risks, and draw things that I haven't drawn before, and challenge myself with each book. Um, and I guess in that last one, it kind of it was more subtle things like that, rather than trying to draw like um, a building imploding or something. Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself holding back stylistically to kind of maintain? Um, not, not consciously. I mean, I'm, you know, I, in, in, in my head, there's kind of like the platonic ideal of the Scott Pilgrim style. And, um, you know, I only rarely hit it. So, like, I think it, it fluctuates a lot more in my eyes than it does in anyone else's eyes, like, in, within each book. I mean, like, I look at certain scenes and I'm just like, oh man, those are horrible. But, um. Yeah, I do. I do see like the growth overall, and I think, you know, I I think that's a good thing, and I I definitely will try and branch out more in future works, like to different different styles, different approaches. But I, I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. I, now it's an interesting time for us to be talking because you're actually able to kind of see the end, I guess. Mm-hmm. How? What's that feeling? Um, well, it's it's hard um, because I'm just in the middle of it still. So, like you're always in the middle of it when you're working on it. Yeah. And it's impossible to see the ending. That's that's always been my experience with comics. So, um, you know, right now it's just like concentrate on the next page, like concentrate on tomorrow or today, and you know, just you know, slow and steady wins the race kind of thing. Me and Brandon were talking about that the other day. Like, someone should sign a, a mascot for comics that's a turtle. <laughs> <clears throat> um, but, yeah, so it's it's uh, it's hard. It's still hard to imagine what, what's, you know, what my life will be when it's over. But I have lots of things that I want to do, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. How, like, you've gotten quite a, uh, a fan following. Um, does that affect how you've approached the story at all in any ways or, like, kind of hearing people's kind of obsessions of what they foresee with the characters that give you new light or kind of changing what you do or do you kind of have a pure vision? Uh, I try to stick to my gut, you know. Um, I do throw in, like, little things here and there. Like, there was a couple scenes in the last book, like, a lot of... um, There's a lot of speculation online about about who Gideon was and, like, how he's probably someone that, like, we've heard about but haven't seen and, like, maybe he's Scott's brother and stuff like that. So I kind of threw in these, like, throwaway scenes just kind of, like, pulling the fans' legs a little bit, like, 
you know, where Scott like mistakes someone for Gideon, and, um, and it's just like kind of a big joke. So those those went over pretty well, I think. The fans were like, ah, he knows. <laughs> the wonders of the internet. Yeah. You'll be able to keep tabs on everything. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's basically I've just I've kind of stuck to my guns. Um, you know, I've let it evolve in its own way, but I um, definitely don't. I'm not going to, like, make Scott end up with blank because that's what all the fans want. (laughs) Now, you've... Did you kind of have as much of a big picture of the story as a whole from the beginning? Or was it kind of more of a sketched-out, rough, this book, this book, this book? Yeah, it was was the latter. Um, It was, was like, a couple paragraphs for each book that I wrote around the time of uh, the second volume. And, um, like, I, originally I think I had the first kind of arc, like the first three books, more or less in my head, um, without some of the specifics. But, yeah, at, at some point I sat down and kind of made up all of the, uh, the ex-boyfriends, like, because there's only, like, so many things that my brain would lead me towards for a list of seven books. <laughs> like, two of them had to be twins, and one of them had to be a girl, so that only left, like, three. <clears throat> And, um, and yeah, so it was just like, you know, in this book, it's going to be summertime, and this girl's going to show up, and kind of like stuff like that. And then a lot a lot more stuff kind of grew out of it, and a lot of the kind of backstory, um, you know, it was in the back of my mind, but it kind of got fleshed out more than I expected. Tell me about, I was asking a little bit earlier about tools, what do you use when doing Scott Pilgrim? Um, just in general, um... I'm, uh, I draw with pencils and paper and stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. New, newfangled Getting computer deep. people. Um, yeah, I, I just, um, I have these color race pencils and I like blue pencils and, mm-hmm. um, and I ink with a brush, uh, which right now is a Rosemary and Co. brush number three. Um, which is a little too big because I went down in paper size again. I keep changing my paper size on every book. Um, on the last book, it was like nine and a half by fourteen. On this book, it's, it's like eight by twelve or something. I remember seeing some pages um, at a convention, I think, in Seattle, and they were. Mm-hmm. I was quite surprised by how small they were. Yeah, I used to do them even smaller. Like they were seven and a half, or seven by eleven, or something like that. Something like that. Yeah, it was really, yeah. really small. Yeah, but I mean that's that's kind of like how the um, the manga artists seem to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they use like the really tiny nib pens and stuff, which I don't. I use brutal, huge brush strokes, so uh, it looks awful. And um, you know that's kind of my what I've been doing. So maybe it's because I'm used to seeing Brandon's pages, which are he uses yeah, this he does, like, giant, massive paper pages. Yeah, for the um, small page. Yeah, I mean, volume five, I did, I did bigger, and it, you know, I still had these kind of brutal brush lines, but they looked better because they were shrunken more. Um, but then I kind of, kind of missed having it look a little bit crummy, so I'm going back down. And ostensibly, it'll be faster, but so far that has not been the case. It's it's interesting how pages can affect someone in doing their work, like. I was I had one or two of someone were talking about Art Adams and about how the, there was a certain point 
where he really started to suck. Mm-hmm. And it was because he started using smaller paper. Mm. It was interesting. Yeah, I, uh, I too have started to suck. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't saying that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I am. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I'll. I don't know what I'll do. I'm just. I'm constantly in flux. Yeah. But it all works to the same dimensions. Yeah. So, are you happy with these dimensions, or are you going to go bigger one day? Well, I I don't know. I mean, I I like I like the idea that it's faster, but even if it's not, um, I like being able to scan two pages at once because um, I'm lazy and in a hurry, perpetually in a hurry. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. You know, I'll I'll probably be changing constantly. Now, how much do video games take over your life? What, my actual life? Yeah, your your life outside of cartooning. Uh, they really don't anymore. I'm, um, I have a very short attention span for video games these days, which is, you know, it's really a, it's a huge boon to my work. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, I pick up games, like I keep buying the new hot game and trying to play it, and then only playing it for like a little tiny portion of time and then getting really bored and uh, selling it away. Now, were you one of those kids that hung out at the 7-Eleven? Playing uh, video games? Doing what? Playing video games. Like on the arcade? Yeah. I don't think I had a 7-Eleven because I was in Northern Ontario, but um, yeah, I definitely like I played the arcade games a lot when I was a kid. What were your favorite ones? Uh, my favorites were like always the, the big like multiplayer, like the X-Men, six-player X-Men game and stuff like that. And... Um, Dungeons and Dragons and all like all the Street Fighters and stuff. Gauntlet. Gauntlet was I don't remember ever playing it. I don't remember ever having access to it. Ah, it's a tough life. Yeah. In Ontario.
Now your uh, wife Hope, um, mm-hmm. another cartoonist. How has that been influential within your own comics? Do you kind of discuss your work with each other? Um, like we do only a little bit. Like we we kind of stay out of each other's hair for the most part. Um, well, you're very different car- cartoonists. Yeah, but, I mean, in terms of writing, like, I think we've kind of developed a lot of the same. Uh, working methods, which, uh, I mean, it helps us kind of get along in the house and, like, with our scheduling and stuff. Um, but, yeah, we both kind of script similarly. Like, we both started using Final Draft for scripting this year, and um, I don't I don't know what that entails. I don't <laughs> know what that means. I don't even really know what it is. We just both did because we're lazy, and we, or we both liked it, and I copy her, and I copy everything she does. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, but then the, like her main influence on me has been uh, the ability to keep to keep to a schedule. Yeah, kind of work daylight hours and kind of take weekends off sometimes. <laughs> um, so you know, she's she's been a very good influence on me in my working habits. I mean, it's interesting to say just that idea of taking weekends off. Um, mm-hmm. Like for other cartoonists, a lot of people don't even really know how to kind of set a cartoon schedule like even Brandon will be talking to him and he had been up till 5am the previous night and yeah I know I used to be always like you know up up all hours like on Sunday night and stuff um but somehow it's it is possible to um if you actually apply rational time management systems <laughs> to your comics uh, you can actually have um evenings off and weekends off sometimes now, do you have any interest in um, just writing and having someone else illustrate? 
only in theory. I mean, it, I feel like if I, I, I really enjoy the writing part of it. Um, so if if I had the right artist and the right idea, I would, um, I would probably do it. I would go for it. But I just haven't really had any ideas that are not tailored to me. Yeah. One. I, I have like too many ideas now that are all tailored to me that <laughs> I can't possibly separate. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, I talking to Seth. One thing that was interesting that he said was that it's so hard. Um, you come up with all these ideas, but figuring out what do you have time to do yeah. in your life. Yeah, Seth is like all about the um, planning. Like on every every like page of comics he's gonna do until the day he dies. Like it's probably in a calendar somewhere. I, I I'm pretty sure it is. You know, yeah. he's got. I think he's got about I mean, the next it's true. ten years. Like planned. if you're 45 years old or whatever, and you like calculate that you have you know, 25 years, like, of working life in you or something, like, then it's, you can only do, like, three or four graphic novels if you're Seth. Yeah. And I think Joe Matt's got about 60 pages left in his life. <laughs> oh, that poor bastard. Yeah. Oh. Um, one kind of thing that's important for folks to notice is that you come in a time where creator ownership is kind of a given in certain circles. Mm-hmm. How important has that been to you, having that? Do you kind of uh, take well it for granted? It's the only thing that's allowed me to kind of have any success, I think. Um, or, I mean, to enjoy the fruits of my labors. Um, yeah. You know, it's not like I got paid up front for, uh, for any of these books, really. And it's only in, like, the last year or two that I've really any profit off of them um, and that's really only because I have like a major stake in them like I own the, I own the copyrights and stuff and you know Oni has some of the rights but it's uh, you know it's allowed them to kind of place it as a film and all that stuff so it's um, you know I, I think it's invaluable I, I mean I think I think I would have signed a stupid contract with a bad publisher um, if it had been put in front of me yeah. when I was younger um, and I just kind of lucked out because I'm not. It's not like I'm smart. It's not like I consulted a lawyer or anything. But um, you're lucky it happened to be Oni. Yeah, well, I'm lucky Oni happened to not uh, fuck me over. Yeah. Um, you know, which you know it could have happened. I don't know. It's possible. Anything's possible. Well, like I mean, the thing is, like, imagine if you did this ten years, ten fifteen years previous, you'd have probably done it for someone like Antarctic, and would you have had? Yeah, that exactly. Same? Not even ten years. Like even three or four years previous, or even like. Possibly like months previous, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's just, I was like at this really weird cusp, and like a lot of I know a lot of, or I don't even know them, but you know, a lot of people, kind of like my peers and people slightly older than me, when I was back in the kind of anime manga circles, like they were just they they have no career because they hit like at the wrong time, yeah. you know, right before like the big manga boom and everything. Mm-hmm. And then people who are a couple years younger than me hit like Tokyo Pop, and they got screwed over in their own way. So yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's weird. I mean, I was just in this like pocket, the eye of the storm. <laughs> but I mean, I guess that's a lesson for folks to uh, be very careful with yeah, your intellectual I mean, you know, property. It's, it's hard to be careful when you're 19, but um, you know, try. Definitely. Um, and you, when kind of work, you spent some time working the Beguiling, right? When you're in Toronto, roommates yes, with yes, the 
comic store. Um, yeah, I can't remember. I was trying to remember exactly when I worked there. Um, it was I quit to do Scott Pilgrim, uh, the first one, and they were really upset because <laughs> I was like, I'm leaving. Like I didn't. I was. It was not very professional. I was never a very good employee. Um, like they didn't really want me to work there. And then after I finished Scott Pilgrim, I went back and um, asked Peter, the owner, if I could have my job back. And he was like, do you want to work here? And I was like, nah. And I just like kind of left. Because he didn't, he, what he meant was you don't want to work here. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then I had to like get a job at a restaurant. But yeah, I I, um, I worked at the Beguiling between Lost at Sea and Scott Pilgrim. So it was only about eight months or so. Probably less than that. And mostly I didn't take any cash. I just took comics and trade or, uh, you know, credit instead of cash. <laughs> <clears throat> That's where I read, like, Nana in French, like the Ayazawa comic, and, um, like, well before it came out in English. And uh, it was a huge influence, so it was good. It was a good um, investment of my time. So you're a big collector? Do you read uh, too many no, comics? No, not really. I mean, I have like a zillion comics and well, mostly graphic novels, like mostly book books. Um, well, that's what I mean. Sorry, that's what I mean by collector. I don't mean someone that um, puts their bags into comics. No, into but bags. I mean, I mean, yeah. I know what you mean, and it's yeah. it's at the same time as no, because I've gotten rid of all my volumes of Nana since then, and um, you know, for a while I was getting all of, I was getting a lot of different manga, and um, I just kind of got rid of most of them at some point. Now I want a lot of them back. I, I think I, <laughs> uh, I think maybe it's hope that kind of would prefer to get rid of everything. Um, you know, and I try to I try to keep to that, but I definitely have like a secret shelf with like sixteen volumes of Dragon Ball and like <laughs> everything Tezuka has ever had in English and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I'm I'm you know I'm torn between those two worlds. I'm always trying to get rid of stuff, and I'm always not wanting to. Well, it's a good time to be a Tezuka fan, isn't it? Uh, yes. Sort of, yes. Sort of? <laughs> well, except for that Astro Boy movie, which oh. I, I don't want to talk about. I didn't I, go see it. I haven't seen it either. No, but it, it just it, it made me sad. <laughs> I haven't actually read Astro Boy. I've just been reading uh, the other stuff. I really liked... Yeah, like um, the vertical stuff. The yeah. Stuff. Like it's, the really, it's really good. It's, he's, uh, Hope, Hope doesn't like Tizuka, but um, I... I do. I have a lot of Japanese, like, untranslated stuff, and I'm just kind of fascinated by the whole thing. Can you read Japanese, or just no, kind I, of I looking... No, I just kind of yeah. stare at it. A um, lot to learn, just from panel transitions. Yeah. Just from just reading. Just from, you know, shapes, and I, in all his different kind of eras, like, his work changed so much, and even from book to book, and, like, he had different styles that he would work in for kids' comics, and for adult comics, and uh, it's really, it's really interesting. I would say he's like my like number one comics uh, role model. Even though I don't necessarily love all his stories, but I just like the the breadth of everything he's done. I really, uh, I'm not a big manga fan, but like he's one of the few people that really, really grabs me. Like I read Apollo's song, which is blown away. Mm. I love that one quite a lot. And I've been uh, looking at that new art book. Uh, of his work and it's interesting like every page is just a different comic yeah for like yeah, hundreds I mean, of pages crazy thing. He's, just, yep. he's got so much stuff. Like, I found this book um, it's just kind of like a I don't even know what it is it's basically just got 
clip art taken from like zillions of of his comics, and it's like it's just like a full full like graphic novel sized book, like 250 pages just of like all this crazy stuff, and like I can just kind of flip through it and be blown away all the time. <laughs> now, you obviously are going to do a comic after Scott Pilgrim is completed. Yeah. Are you keeping that to your close to your chest? Yeah, um, I mean, you know, it's it's. I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know what format it's going to be in. I don't know which story idea I'll go with. So I just I don't really. I don't want to even start thinking about it seriously until I'm pretty much done with this book because it's it's like um, I don't know. It's like having your cake and eating it too. Yeah. Or something. So I'm just I'm kind of trying to save that like pleasurable feeling of uh, figuring stuff out for after. It, it's got to be different of just kind of that whole... Well, it'll be a different experience working on, on whatever you work through next. Cause, I mean, Scott Pilgrim, it's so far back in some ways. Um, you mean like starting on something new? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's. I can't even really imagine. Like, um, like Hope has started like three or four new things in the past year and like I'm <laughs> she's like wow this is crazy and seems like, like she has like what? a new book out almost every year or something <laughs> but it's like but there was a couple of years where there was nothing because she switched to a you know major publishing house and mm-hmm. um, there's that kind of downtime like I, I don't even know I don't understand it but you know it takes like two years for them to put a book out yeah I mean, and then, you know, it doesn't make sense that at Oni, like, I can finish my book and it'll be out in a month. Like, that's kind of stupid in the other extreme, so. Yeah. No, it's, I've, uh, it, it's weird, like, I know I was talking to one person and it was just like, I, I was looking to get my book put out, but it's just going to be so long before any of the publishers would put it out that it's just not an interest to them. Yeah. Well, it's like, if you, if you signed a book deal right now, your book would probably come out in, like, 2013 or something. Yeah. So it's uh it's yeah that's the other thing like if I I I don't know I mean I don't, uh it's it's crazy it's a crazy world and it's how do you maintain the excitement with uh yeah something being so far behind you yeah so it's like you know parts of me are drawn to like doing a web comic or something and just kind of keeping keeping the flames stoked but um you know that seems to have its own whole host of problems yeah so I don't know I just I have no idea even like about format or or anything. I just, you know, I have vague notions, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it'll be great. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. It'll suck. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for taking the time to t- chat with me today, Brian. Yeah, no problem. It's uh, It's been fun. Shut up!